0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 10 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogy's Contribution to the International Glut of Podcasts. I am your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Neelachlan. Sorry, I'm a bit late again this week. I do have a decent excuse, though. In addition to a kind of a crash with my overall recording extravaganza here in my office, we're having a nor'easter blizzard, and there have been a couple of power flashes I have a little humble brag for you this week. We just blew past the 600 download mark, averaging a download an hour since last week. Thank you. 35 U.S. states and 12 nations are listening because... Ireland just jumped on board for a bit of the crack. Welcome, Homeland. Welcome, all of you. And thank you for your support thus far. I got a cool request in the mailbag this week. So here's a special day to Liza in Queensland, Australia. I am so psyched that folks are listening outside the US. I know I talk mostly about US records, but I am glad that the methodology, how-to kind of stuff is useful to everybody. And Liza, you inspired part of this week's episode. So thank you for that. And finally, I have two new supporters on Patreon, for which I am very grateful. I have finally risen above the bare subsistence level. The podcast is now paying for its own production costs And all further funds are going toward compensating my time and expertise. Matt will be coming on the show and recording an episode about his work at Tryon Palace, which I think is going to be really interesting. And Sean Cooper, I owe you more gratitude than I can enunciate. Sean's tree was my introduction to African American genealogy, which is an appropriate lead-in to today's show. This week's episode is about genealogy as service work lookups, reparations, and social justice. There are a lot of ways that we can serve one another in the world of family history, but there are the ones that came to mind first this week, and these were them. There are a lot of reasons to give freely to others. It's good karma, It brings blessings, it's good citizenship, it makes you feel better about yourself or the world, and heaven knows we need that these days. But regardless of your reasoning, genealogy practiced as service is at the core of all that I value in the work. It's not that people shouldn't charge for their time and expertise, I mean, I do, but there's always room for generosity of spirit, and I do believe that the more we give, the more we receive. It's fundamental to how I live and work. Today's first topic was inspired by Liza. She wanted a recommendation for resources in New York to help her find birth and transit information for an ancestor who was born in New York in the 1830s and who emigrated to Australia in the 1850s. I find it hard to say no to a challenge, so I said I'd take it on for her. For those of you who don't know, New York is a very large place. There are 62 counties, so that's a lot of possible historical societies to hunt down, especially from the opposite side of the planet. What I'm doing for Liza is called a lookup. She has a specific question with a lot of parts. I have found a geeky match in Liza, and I am using nearby or online U.S. resources to complete a search for her. It's the kind of favor that genealogists do for one another all the time. There's even an organization that does nothing but this. It's called Random Acts of Genealogical Kindness, though I find it far more amusing to call it by its initials, Geek. You can join their group on Facebook to ask questions, and eventually, if you want to, you can ask to join their ranks as a pro to help others and answer questions. is a good sport, by the way, but the best part, she was as far from a Jeffrey as she could possibly have been in her request. This predisposed me to go the extra step and offer to do the research myself rather than just passed on the uh, recommendations of libraries or historical societies who might help her. I may yet end up passing the buck, but not before I take a stab at it myself. Now, am I awesome and special because I offered this? No. I mean, yes, but no. This is how a vast majority of people in genealogy work. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that you can judge a person's work by his or her work ethic even before you see the work. If a person's willing to do a lookup for you or is happy to volunteer a little time or effort to assist others, that's someone you want to work with. And if you're interested in gaining a good reputation among other family historians or in gaining a clientele, volunteerism and service work are definitely the path to success. There are other small ways to do service work and we'll discuss them in another episode among them, I would say, would be join volunteering uh, at Find a Grave. Photograph gravestones in nearby cemeteries for people who want them. Join genealogy Facebook groups for your state or your locale, and do bits of research in the style of Random Acts of Genealogical Kindness or Rayogic. If you speak and read more than one language, join a Facebook or other group or society that provides free document translations for researchers. If you ask around and you do a few Google and Facebook searches, you can find ways to be of service that will give you more experience and that will provide valuable resources to amateur and professional researchers across the globe. And that, my friends, is absolutely worth doing. The ultimate in service work in my book, using family history skills, is reparational genealogy. I do this in African-American research, but I would think that other countries that are based in European colonization and the enslavement of Africans and Aboriginal populations would have similar issues and would be subject to similar solutions. If you live in an ex empire nation like Canada, Australia, or another former European colony, drop me a line and tell me... Do you actually know about this? Do such issues exist among researchers in your area? Do people looking into their family trees have problems like this? I'm really curious about how things work on the ground in other countries. I've never researched for a client outside of the United States. Now, to be clear, I do charge for reparational work, so I guess you can't say that it is complete reparations. Instead of an hourly fee, I charge a one-time flat fee of $50 to create a tree. I research it thoroughly in Ancestry. I teach the client genealogical standards for names and dates and places and how to use Ancestry. I transfer all that data into FamilySearch. I teach the client how to use FamilySearch. I hook the client up with supportive groups and individuals on Facebook, and then I serve as a lifetime consultant. That way, I'm covering some minor costs, but I'm still giving the vast majority of my time and work for free, and I'm giving my client eventual ownership of the entire process, which is the point. It works out for the client, and it works out for me, too. Though I started with my own completely European or white descent, and I will use the terms interchangeably here, African-American work dominates my daily workflow. Because of the seeming impenetrability of its problems and the intricacies of its puzzles, I find it more interesting, more challenging, and more rewarding than anything else I do. Why? Remember what I said in episode two about the hallmarks of African American genealogy and how it differs from Anglo American and Euro American genealogy. One, African-American research is far more folklore dependent than Anglo and European in an era dominated by digitized research. It's old school in the face of a potentially unhealthy and lazy dependence on ancestry, my heritage, and even family search use because databases of documents have replaced boxes of certificates, letters, and other documents for white researchers. Two, In African-American genealogy, in-person procurement of vital records is frequently necessary because some locations have been careless about digitizing these records. Yes, there is institutionalized racism, even in archiving. It's easier to find these records in formal online collections for European-Americans than it is for African-Americans, and I have absolutely encountered this, as have my clients and friends who are in this work. Three, African American family history, therefore, is necessarily based in record stashes in shoeboxes in the attic or under the bed, or even family Bibles. These records are necessary because not all families reported deaths or births to government offices, and not all offices bothered to record or preserve records. Again, institutionalized racism in record keeping was common in past decades and centuries. In fact, one of my clients has secured from a cousin trash bags filled with obituary clippings and various certificates because that's the only way that her ancestors have been able to track their family. She's scanning those documents in now, but they date back 50 to 100 years. Four, another key difference between European American and African American genealogy is the brick wall. For people descended of enslaved persons, official identity only begins in the 1870 census. That's why it's called the brick wall. Before 1870, there are only occasional white enslavers' wills and other personal papers that provide names of the enslaved. For free persons of color, it's somewhat better, but there is still a brick wall as the census only counts property owners. If a free person of color didn't own land, he wasn't necessarily recorded by the U.S. government. Women had it worse. White America was counted by the government from day one of colonization, and that makes our job as researchers much, much easier for ourselves than it is for black researchers for themselves. Five. Slavery created an entirely different family culture among African Americans from that known and taken for granted or normal by European Americans. Please note that this isn't true for all African Americans, because there is no such thing as a monolithic black experience. But slavery has caused a trickle down effect of destruction that exists today. Whites largely live by an idealized family structure of nuclear families with two married parents who stay together for a lifetime and who raise genetic children together. Now, this is also not always true. Parents do not always marry, or they divorce, or families blend. Whites are no more monolithic than blacks, but historically, these are easy generalizations to adopt because they are based in some fact, and at least they are based in ideals, and generations of being split up by being sold or having to leave children with grandparents to follow whatever manual labor was available made that idealized Anglo-European type of nuclear structure difficult or impossible for African-American families to achieve or maintain. Instead, they lived by more of an it-takes-a-village-to-raise-a-child methodology with ancillary relatives and multiple generations raising children and with fictive family involved in what would otherwise have been a strictly nuclear genetic family structure. This is not wrong, nor is it bad. There are no value judgments involved here whatsoever. It is simply different from the white American standard. And I put that standard the same way that I would put the word normal in big fat double quotes. And all white or Anglo European American researchers have to understand and learn that there are different ways in which families were and are structured. These differing structures necessitate creative and more thorough analysis of census and other records in order to exhaust all possibilities when structuring or restructuring a family in reparational work. The fact that family structures are different, however, and that creativity is required here means that as a researcher, I have to work harder. Through that harder work, I have a greater opportunity to get to know the people I am researching, their lives, and their spirits. Feeling them with me, urging me on in the work, is its own reward as well. But the only way to internalize these and other lessons about African American genealogy, particularly if you are a white researcher, honestly, is to go out there and research an African American tree, or five. The more the better. And the best way to find trees is to research is to offer your skills and time pro bono to those who are seeking you, but who are just starting out in their research and maybe don't quite know where to turn. And that, my friends, is reparational genealogy. I think that the biggest blast that I get from reparational work is that when I find answers in a reparational tree, I know darn well that I am finding something that has been lost for generations. I will be able to tell my client a story that he or she has absolutely never heard before. It's not about you're descended from King Harold or anything like that. Being descended from famous people, frankly, is pretty boring. It's more like, did you know that your great-grandfather worked for the railroad, which is, by the way, a really secure job and is kind of cool, and and was the first one to leave the South? That's a good thing to know. It's always good to know who migrated first. Or did you know that uh, your great-great-grandmother was a property owner? that's good too. That's really good stuff. I love being able to say, yes, you do come from people. I love giving people their names. And I love being able to give them the raw materials that can start them on a journey that coupled with DNA can find them cousins in diasporic Africa and on the African continent. Because remember, I can find passage records for almost all of my ancestors and their immigrant trips to this continent because they came willingly and their names were recorded between 1611 and 1830. Africans were kidnapped and their names were stolen and their descendants have no idea when exactly they came over, where they came from. They simply have no idea where they're from. If you want to be of real direct service to a segment of the population that was systematically stripped of its identity and family ties for generations... Work with African-American researchers. It's a kind of private forum for doing social justice work. My final point is inspired by current events. Just yesterday, I was struck with a notion so strongly that I'm actually thinking about formally working on it. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. The idea stems from a situation I came across in an article published on February 23rd by a guy named Kirk Brown of the Anderson Independent Mail. It's really great journalism because in these days of lying liars who lie at every level and in every party in politics, we need fact checkers to be at the ready with fundamental truths so that politicians can't just say anything create their own versions of the truth as if there were multiple versions of the truth, and get away with constructing fantasies that suit their own ends. Anyway, the article is entitled South Carolina Governor Candidate Says She Was Unaware Her Ancestor Owned Dozens of Slaves, and there's a lot of subsequent coverage of this issue and of this article in a lot of other newspapers all over the country. In this initial article, though, Kirk Brown explains that a South Carolina gubernatorial candidate named Catherine Templeton spoke at Bob Jones University in February of 2018. And um, for those of you who live outside of the country, outside of the United States, yes, we actually have an institution of higher learning that is called Bob Jones University. You gotta love America. The speech was directed to a pro-Confederacy audience And this is what Templeton said. This is a direct quote. I think it's important that my family didn't fight because we had slaves. My family fought because the federal government was trying to tell us how to live. We didn't need them to tell us how to live way back then. And we don't need them to tell us how to live today. So, okay, she was making a states rights argument. And that's an argument on the political spectrum that I understand of course, what she didn't mention is that those ancestors didn't like being told how to live because they wanted to keep their slaves. Kirk Brown confronted her with census and slave schedules from 1860, showing that those high-principled ancestors, those idealistic confederates she touted, were in fact slave owners. Just one of her brawley ancestors owned 66 slaves in 1860, with a fair market value of $900,000 in today's money. That's an estimable element of participation in the slave market and slave trade, according to Joseph McGill, and he's an expert in the field. McGill runs a fantastic organization called the Slave Dwelling Project. Look him up on Facebook or just Google him for more information on his research. He is really a fascinating guy, and he is doing just wonderful work. Catherine Templeton, the gubernatorial candidate for South Carolina, said she's proud of the Confederacy, which was a violent anti-government rebellion. And in the next breath, after Brown showed her the evidence, she said, I had no idea that my ancestors owned so many slaves. And this is where genealogy comes into play. I find her response disingenuous, unlikely, and frankly, offensive. In that speech at Bob Jones University, she also said this, and this is a direct quote as well. Someone asked me tonight if I'm from South Carolina. So my great, 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 great grandfather came here in the late 1700s and my family's been here ever since. In fact, my father was named after Judge William Brawley, who fought for the state, fought in the Battle of Seven Pines, even lost an arm for this state. That ancestor she named, Judge William Brawley, his daddy owned the plantation and the 66 slaves worth $900,000 in today's money. If she knew that her seventh great grandfather settled in the Carolinas and she knew her ancestors military in the Civil War, she knew and knows her family tree. So how did she not know that her people enslaved other human beings? If she knew her family, she must have known where they lived and she must have known their family business. They had plantations. Who did she think worked them? Elves? I'm truly getting up my Irish here, so I'll get to the point. I think that this is a great place for genealogy to go. I think that genealogy has a very real place in the public forum of social justice in holding politicians' feet to the fire about the stories they tell about their families, People got snippy when Elizabeth Warren stated that she was part Native American, right? That's a problem easily solved. Do the research and publish it and demand a DNA test of the candidate. Make her back it up. Catherine Templeton says her family was 100% idealist and 0% slaveholding. That's a problem easily solved, as Kirk Brown proved. He did the research and he published it. I think that a nonpartisan band of researchers who want to use their historical record to get the truth out would be of great utility in these fraught and challenging times. American genealogists have a rep for being a bunch of blue-haired old white ladies sitting around in musty libraries drinking tea and trying to disprove one another's applications to the daughters of the American Revolution, but pumpkins... That ain't it at all. We are scary, we are fierce, and we are every shade of the rainbow. We can find your living cousins and their worst secrets just from public records. We can track down your enemies and your illegitimate fourth great-grandfather's true paternity. We are genealogists. Hear us roar. And in a time of dangerous and extreme distortion of the truth, I think it would be amazing to have an organization called Genealogists for Social Justice. We'd Start out small, pro bono, maybe we'd evolve to a 501c3 tax-free entity, and maybe we'd wear groovy capes. We'd research every candidate who made a spurious or a shifting claim about issues of race, religion, or ethnicity, either about him or herself, about other candidates, or about their constituencies. We'd use the historical record to fact-check candidates, and we'd make the truth public for all to see. We'd spread our genie magic far and wide, and we would make the world better and a more honest place. It's just a notion so far, you know. But I'd like your feedback, actually. What do you think about using genealogy to vet political candidates who make claims about their own or their opponents or their constituents' heritage? I'd really like to know that. So, so give, me a, give me a shout out about that. So we're to that point in the program where I ask you, what did we learn today? Doing lookups for other people is the backbone of a civilized society. And Liza really knows how to write a good email. Reparational genealogy is a service that all genealogists, semi-pro and pro, should provide because it offers numerous opportunities for learning, for service, for reparations, and for intercultural understanding. And I think it's time for genealogy to have its own Marvel superhero band. I volunteer myself. Thanks so much for listening. If you podcast and you want original theme music like mine, email my good friend Kurt Brady at curtisbrady at com. Tell him I sent you. He can hook you up with rock, blues, country, folk, pretty much anything that you can think of. If you have a concept or a music sample, send it to him. He writes, plays, and records. Would you like to ask an on-air question? I'm in the U.S., so if you're calling from outside the country, use the country code 010, then dial 631-201-0589 and leave a message with your name, location, and question. I'll play it and answer it on air. Otherwise, you know where you can find me. I'm online at AncestorsAliveGenealogy.com and on Facebook at ancestorsalivegenealogy. Genealogy. Follow me on Twitter at AncestorsAlive and on Instagram at AncestorsAliveGenealogy. If you have a request, a dispute, a book recommendation, or a question for the mailbag, you can contact me at alive genealogy at gmail.com. And please, if you find value in this podcast, support me on Patreon and win or earn valuable prizes. Go to patreon.com slash ancestors alive and sign up for any of five support levels ranging from $5 to $25 per month. I need that financial support to keep this virtual classroom going. Have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Find a way to commit one small random act of genealogical kindness, and above all, expect surprises.